This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate podcast. My first deal was not a success when I started syndication. Mm. My first few deals were not a success. Um, so you're going to pay one way or another. You know, it doesn't take necessarily money to make money uh, because I didn't have any going into this. Uh, it's, it takes the courage to chase it, to make money. You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business. What's up, guys? I'm your host, Jonathan Farber. I hope you guys are well and healthy. For any first-time listeners, thank you guys for being here. I really appreciate it. The goal of this show is to explore ways to become financially free through real estate or to increase passive cash flow through real estate. A little bit about myself. I work in corporate America at a software company and my side hustle is real estate. I currently own eight units, a mix of small multifamily and short-term rentals, aka Airbnb. I've house hacked, bird, flipped, and as mentioned, short-term rentals to name a few strategies. I love to network, so hit me up on any platform, Facebook, LinkedIn, BiggerPockets, Instagram, or just search Jonathan Farber, real estate, and you should find me. Also, if you are not already in the exclusive Facebook group, this is where I post most and do a lot of behind the scenes content of sharing deals, strategies, and systems. See you there. Let's get to today's show sponsor. After building my own portfolio, speaking with over 100 investors on this podcast and many more from the Facebook group, I've noticed a few common themes of why people don't get started or remain successful in real estate. They don't have the right team, they aren't sure of their market, or they don't know where to find deals. The people at Martel Turnkey are fixing this. That's why they offer fully turnkey properties in markets where the numbers actually make sense. What does this mean? It means they buy properties at a discount, fix them up, put a tenant in place, and oh yeah, give you options for property management or financing. They have people on the ground in cities where you can still cash flow and see appreciation every single month. I'll say it as simply as this. When you have the right team and systems in place, there's no reason not to get started. If you like a property or have any questions, you can schedule a phone call by clicking on the link below or going on their website and clicking on the contact tab to set up a call. There is no hard sell, push, or commitment needed. The call will be there to answer any questions you have or to see if or how their products might be a good fit for you and what you're looking for. So visit martelturnkey.com and click contact or send an email to info at martelturnkey.com today. What's going on, guys? Today, we have an awesome episode with Wesley Yates. Wesley is based in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. He is a former active duty Marine. He started out in the business with wholesaling and flipping. He has now moved into multifamily apartment syndication, and he's now involved on some big deals. So he's involved on deals that total about 860 units and 78 million. And I say involved in because um, I'm going to make a bold statement here, guys. I actually think this is maybe the most important show we've ever done because I realize, and I've said this now in multiple episodes, I have failed to clearly state something that when someone comes on and says they own X number of units, they likely own a very small portion of those units. Okay. And I know a lot of you guys get discouraged by that when you have 10 units and you're hearing someone on a podcast talk about them owning or controlling 2000 units. Well, let me just tell you and keep driving this point home that there are cases where someone that owns 10 doors makes more than someone who so quote unquote controls 5,000 units. 
we've had people on the show where I've met, not people on the show, but people that I've met who have 2000 doors and they don't make enough passively to leave their jobs. And I know people that have three units and they're financially free. So this episode is really important because we break out exactly what he's making from his involvement in a $78 million portfolio that he has 1% of. And he's very transparent about that. And he also talks about his failures and challenges with it. But I look at this episode, like a peel the, the curtain back. And I'm going to be doing this more, guys. I also want to say to know if someone is very brash about their unit count, I'm also going to be asking the question, what does that actually net you each month? How much money do you actually make from that? Because it's just very easy to brag or get behind a big number of units but that could be a unit that is in the middle of the worst war zone area in a town that has a losing population, or it could be one unit in New York City that's worth five times that building. So I just want to dig deeper into that for you guys to know, because I remember when I was first starting out, it was very unclear to me what this meant. And I always say this now, it's very hard to come up with a goal if you don't have a base education. So how do you know if your goal is real estate syndication or apartment buildings or uh, Airbnb, if you don't know what the possibility of your earning potential is. So that is what I want to do on more of these episodes. So please let me know what you guys think. But basically, this is a really important episode for that reason, because we go into that. And the main learning I had from this episode was his perseverance. So Wesley is not um, shy to talk about his challenges. And he did two full cycle due diligence, like entry deals that ended up both canceling. So he didn't actually even do the deals. Like he went through due diligence and had to come out of pocket for the inspections and appraisals and bank fees. And then the deals didn't even happen. So he's got great perseverance and goes through how he did that. Uh, today's tangible tip, also kind of more of like a, a detailed thing, like a small thing. But um, I know a lot of us are sending messages on Facebook or Instagram or wherever right now. And if you're sending a deal, let's say a message back to a wholesaler, what I have found will get you better response rates is if you're responding about something specific send a screenshot of the deal they're posting. So sometimes, you know, at the beginning, I would see a wholesaler post a deal and I'd say, hey, I'm interested in that deal you just posted. Well, they post 50 deals a day in some cases. And I don't remember what the address was. So it'd be like, it slipped through the cracks. So now screenshot any, I screenshot every deal that like I'm going to message someone about or any like article that I'm going to want to talk to them about. And at least then it's good context to start the conversation. So Anyway, hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. Uh, really important just to know how you can make money in real estate. And there's so many different strategies and they also take different timelines. So please enjoy with Wesley Yates. All right, Wesley, what is going on, man? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. Getting right into it, man. I think we're going to have a good show. We're just like I do a lot of times feel we just need to hit record because we're already talking about a lot of cool stuff. So for those that don't know you, you mind just giving a quick background on how you got into real estate from a high level and then also from a high level, what you do today in real estate. Yes, absolutely. So I got into real estate actually not too long ago. It was uh, late 2018. I was an engineer. I was just graduating college, uh, used my GI Bill and was on a contract to go work at Amazon. Uh, as an operations manager and stumbled upon my wife who was in real estate and started off just small with just checking out the networking and fast forward people kind of saw my potential and how I was just ready to go all in and got invited to start doing syndications so syndicating uh, multifamily uh, had a few teams that 
I was doing that with, and that got me picked up to do a few hospitalities, was doing some land development for Hilton and for IHG, and then was doing a conversion from an independent hotel to a choice hotel, then started doing a fund. And now I'm back to putting together my own team where I'm the lead and have a few partners and building a team of veterans and first responders to tackle our own deals. Gotcha. And real quick though, I just want to call it out because, um, well, one, I think there are common themes of this being a reoccurring positive skill set. but can you talk about your life before real estate a little bit, you know, and now how that also kind of ties into what you're doing with veterans and first responders? Yes. So I spent nine years in the Marine Corps. I was active duty, uh, did deploy, um, was stationed, you know, California, uh, North Carolina, did some recruiting duty here in Texas, uh, which is where I'm originally from and um, got out to be a full-time dad and uh, started going to college, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, and really had to start figuring out where my strengths were, not in just a particular, I can turn a wrench or, you know, whatever, but where was my strengths? Mm -hmm. And it really come down to the way a Marine thinks and what a Marine is trained for. And when you pull it down, a Marine, no matter what their, their job set or MOS is, is they're trained for combat. You're building your mindset for combat. And by definition, combat is something that is forever changing, always challenging, and the likelihood of conflict is high. Mm. So when you start looking at business, how is that not the same? How is it not forever challenging, always changing, and the likelihood of conflict is high, especially when you're not prepared? So through my walk in all of this real estate, I started realizing hey, um, if we are, you know, our minds are, are worked and developed to being, you know, someone that can adapt and overcome to anything thrown at them, wouldn't I want someone like that on my team? So I started talking to other people and, and kind of, I actually reached out to two guys I put in the Marine Corps on recruiting duty, and now they're on my team. Mm. So, um, but yeah, I aligned with another um, real estate investor who's also a full-time police officer. He's been a 21 year police officer in the, you know, Dallas area. Yep. And, and we partnered up and that's where VFR came from. Yeah. So. Awesome. So let's talk about your first deal because, well, well, actually going one step back, did your first, I guess, income in real estate come through flipping and wholesaling or was it through multifamily when you started doing syndication? Yeah, no, it was through the wholesaling at first. I did wholesaling for about six months and, uh, you know, I had a few, a few there, uh, you know, checks there come in and all that. Nothing on the big scale, but I mean, you know, hey, a few thousand dollars from making real estate isn't bad. Totally. And then um, moving over to, you know, that whole big, ooh, go big, go big. Uh, I stumbled across, I see the book in your background, best ever syndication book of Joe mm -hmm. Fairless. Actually, a couple of my friends are mentioned in that book that I'd already known. Really? Uh, yeah, they, um, they're Marines. We actually were stationed on the same base. Uh, they're still out in North Carolina in the Charlotte area. 
but they're mentioned in Joe Fairless's book. So I was, I called him up as soon as I got through that section. I was like, yo, why didn't you tell me about this? And he's like, oh yeah, that was nice of Joe to do. He's a good friend. I'm like, oh man. So, <laughs> but the, the big paydays of syndication, it's, it's almost like that carrot on the end of the stick that continue. It's like, it stretches as you, as you start taking off. So uh, going big has a longer, I guess, trajectory before you get to that first carrot. I will say that. Got it. Okay, cool. So um, it sounds like the wholesaling and flipping thing, which is funny because you're coming back around on it, but it sounds like that was how you got started, got exposed, started learning about the process and then went into apartment buildings and then hospitality. So can you like more, a little bit like in a granular way, talk about like how you actually got in, like what did your first deal look like? How did you find it? How did you organize it? What value did you bring? You know, just what did it look like? Yeah. So I was invited to my wife's um, networking event and it was almost kind of like that make or break. Hey, if you can't hang in my world, this isn't going to work out. So I was like, okay, hmm. game face on, here we go. And just kind of threw me to the wolves and it was, it was fun. You know, I did a lot of recruiting duty, which is a lot of networking. You do a lot of career fairs. You know, you have to be able to just walk up and talk to a complete stranger and it worked. And I, I just, I loved it. I mean, I loved it enough to turn down, you know, a sign on bonus with Amazon and 50,000 worth of Amazon stock. So mm. I loved, I mean, I went all in and um, walking up to that, she kind of brought me along with a team that was a part of an academy. Um, I think that's probably why I'm so anti-guru today, because my first little endeavor there with the wholesaling was a part of an academy there who kind of helped teach others. Um, and then I got to see kind of like the behind the scenes of a lot of those gurus or, or speakers. And I will tell you, there are a few that are legit and there are, they do care and they do actively, you know, teach you from what they're doing currently. But there's some that it's just, yeah, mm -hmm. you haven't done this in five years. You're just teaching it. Okay. Mm. So you, you've got to be careful on, doing your own due diligence on your research of who you give your money to before you, you know, sign up for their course or get into something. Okay. Um, so that, that would be my advice there. Some are worth it. Yep. I know some people that are in some courses now that they've become very successful from following their strategies. Um, I have signed up for a few in my days. I've signed up when I started to be a fund manager Mm -hmm. um, I signed up for a course, um, you know, so there are a few that you, you've got to pay for your knowledge you, one way or another. Now, I'll tell you this. My first deal was not a success when I started syndication. Mm. My first few deals were not a success. Um, so you're going to pay one way or another. You know, it doesn't take necessarily money to make money uh, because I didn't have any going into this. Uh, it's, it takes the courage to chase it, to make money. Mm. And it's only a matter of doing the right things, learning from your failures and moving forward because you can learn from your failures and not move forward. And then you're just stuck. Mm. And I think really that's, good. that's the only reason why I'm probably where I'm at today is because I got knocked down 
I mean, several times <laughs> have I been, all right, cool. This still is going to make me 80,000 at the closing. Woohoo. And then whenever it starts running, there's going to be $10,000 a month coming in. All right. And then one phone call comes in and it's like, oh yeah, the one number was here. The engineer pulled out. Oh, this is, this is all falls through. And then, oh, Hey, COVID. Right. Oh, COVID cost me probably $150,000 of closing. <laughs> I was uh, like, yeah. So, I mean, we had a Hilton lined up. We had a, uh, an, a stay bridge lined up and we were in the final drafting of a contract for a Clarion point. Mm, and then choice, or sorry. And then COVID hit at the beginning of this year, all three of those fell through. Damn. You want to talk about a hit to the gut? <laughs> Not too many people can go sit there and already count the dollars and, you know, make the big mistakes of counting chickens before those eggs hatch. And yeah, I mean, I already, yep. It was Good a big reminder. hit. It so was a big hit. what was the first deal? Let's talk about that. I know you said that the first couple, there were some challenges with, so what was it? How did you find it? How did you fund it? What was your role in it? All that. So my first deal in syndicating was a deal out in Hobbs, New Mexico. It was, uh, we were chasing that one down at the same time we were chasing down San Angelo. I was a part of a team. There were two other members and we, we all had a meeting and decided to just go. They asked that I be the investor relations, which mm -hmm. is the, the man that goes out, talks to the investors, talks to them about the deal, answers all their questions and at the end of the day, you know, brings the money to the deal. That was my role. And <laughs> I was so green. I was so new. I go, um, y'all know I've never done this before. Right. And they're like, yes, but we really like your enthusiasm. We really like, you know, you're, you've got a lot of tenacity. We want you, you got good character. And I'm mm. like, okay. I'm like, do I need a license to do this? And they just kind of laugh at me. And I'm like, it's a legit question. What do I? And they're like, no. I'm like, oh, right. okay, good. So that was that was my role. So I just started hitting the the networking events and just started, you know, talking with people, talking with people. They're asking me all kinds of questions like, what is the IRR? What is the cash on cash? What is your five year hold? What kind of loans are you getting? And I'm like, you know, those are really great questions. We're really early in the game. And I would like to get your contact information. So that way, whenever we get those answers, I can reach out to you and give you those. Mm -hmm. Boom, got a card. I spent 45 minutes of my first networking event doing that right there. Mm. And then after every one, I'd run back over to the table where those two people that had been doing it, I'd be like, hey, what's IRR? Hey, what's cash on cash? Hey, what's this right here? What's cap rate? What, you know, all these things if that I would have probably started reading the book, Best Ever Syndication, that talks about all of these acronyms and all this stuff. Probably would have been a little bit repaired, but I didn't even know there was a book at this time. I had an opportunity, and I believe that if someone prevents you with an opportunity, you accept it and step up rather than step away because you're not ready. So that's what I did. I just threw myself to the wolves. Mm-hmm. Okay. We ended up going all the way down, had the deal under contract. How'd you, how'd you guys find the deal? Uh, we found it. We had a person on our team that searched for deals and uh, they were on market. It was an on market deal through the broker. Okay. Um, so just developing those relationships with the broker so that they kind of throw you 
uh, opportunities when they have stuff on the market or going to the market and they kind of know it fits your criteria. So she, uh, the, it was a, her name was Laura. She, she had the deal on already um, locked in and was doing all of our underwriting. That deal ended up not going through because of the demographic for the area and the size of the loan. We couldn't find a lender that would um, give us the terms that we needed in the loan amount. So that actually ended up falling through. Now, in that period of us looking at that two months, I had already developed about 250 investors of my own. Mm. First two months syndicating, just pounding away, hitting up. And keep in mind, I was driving two and a half hours to the city, every networking event. That's wow. one way. Wow. So no excuses mentality kind of thing. Yep. Um, but it was, it was, we had us our second deal. So yeah, first deal there. Didn't so it, close so it. the deal happened or it didn't happen? No, it, it didn't it, happen. Close. We basically had to go back because we were under contract and say, Hey, we can't get financing. Right. Um, and the, you know, of course that's never a good thing to do for, with a broker. Right. But I mean, we even brought in somebody uh, as a key principal that had, you know, years of experience. Doing What's a this. key principal for those that don't know? Yeah. So a key principal, think of it as like your, your heavy hitter on your team. They, they're just the weight, you know, they've got the financial weight equity. Yes. Yep. They've got the equity to sign on your loan and cover all of your loan requirements. Mm -hmm. So, uh, he had been a limited partner for several time, been a guarantor, which is what that is. The key principal is the one that signs on the loan and puts up the earnest money down or EMD uh, so that you can even, you know, work the deal. And, you know, we were, we were good. And it, it literally came down to financing um, because it was such a secondary market or tertiary, however you say that word <laughs> market. And it just, we couldn't find a lender that was going to go on it right now because of the market. And, you know, it was predominantly around oil and gas. And mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, every, you, you know, you're sitting here thinking, man, I raised the money. I got this. And then it comes down to a loan. You're like, ah, so. So what, okay. People are probably wondering in this case, you know, like, like a regular property, there's due diligence and due diligence has expenses mm -hmm. and drawing up contracts and syndication has expenses. So, for this deal not to happen, what were the financial costs or financial outlay that was needed? And then unfortunately the deal not happened. And I'm only asking just so people can get an idea for themselves, you know, the pressure in this to either get a deal done or not. Yeah, absolutely. No, there's pressure. Um, inspections alone were about eight grand because we did a full due diligence. I mean, yep. we did the, you know, the, the snaking of the lines, the inspections of the roof, the, all of it. Uh, the mm -hmm. audit, all of it, because um, mm -hmm. you have to audit the files to make sure what the, you know, they're telling you of their tenants is what's legit and look into what tenant base you got and uh, all of that. So it costs money uh, mm -hmm. to do all of that. And then you've got legal fees. Mm -hmm. I think that one was about $12,000 in legal wow. fees because you've got to set up an LLC and you've mm -hmm. got to set up an uh basically a company agreement or operating agreement. And that's about with your LLC filings, plus the attorneys on top of that, that's a thousand. 
And then you've got to start putting together to raise money. You've got to put together uh, your PPM or your investment docs, which is kind of where it falls into all the regulation D 506B, 506C uh, requirements of SEC. And so all in, that was about $12,000 for us on that. So we were, we were about 20,000 into that, that when we walked away from, we were, we were out of. Wow. And who splits those costs or how did you guys decide who had ownership of what? Yeah. So that was one of those things that you've got to think about all those things coming in and doing your research. That is where I will come back and, and, you know, doing an after action report on myself in that situation. That is one of the things that I wish I would have finished the best ever syndicating book, looked at a few podcasts, uh, listened a bit more. Now I was as going through best ever syndication at this time as fast as I could, but I mean, we were already under contract at that point. So how we divide that up was basically what everybody's cut was supposed to be by percentage of ownership. So, you know, I can't even remember the exact amount because we okay, yeah. a lot of that stuff because we were working with a third party uh, property management company and we kind of rolled that in because we already had our second property that was in a better market mm. in. Um, so, I mean, all in all, my cut of it was about nine grand just to okay. give you a flat, here you go, number. Um, it cost that, yeah. me nine grand to do that deal. So it sounds like by then though, you were already starting to look at the next deal and it's cool that this was not something that was going to slow you guys down or stop you recognizing it's the cost of business and these things happen. So um, tell us about the next deal. Where, where did it come from? Where was it located? Um, again, the, the finding, the financing, kind of the roles, you know, all that fun stuff. Yeah. So the second deal or the next deal, if you will, cause there was like two that we were trying to bundle together in Hobbs. The next uh-huh. deal was, let's just say that one was when I guess my education kind of caught up to where I was and I was able to shine some light on some stuff that wasn't being doing by let's just say the ethical code so to speak Hmm. um i hadn't learned how to underwrite yet but looking at enough deals i could read it and you know like i said i was an engineer in the background and i could look at formulas look at code look at all of this stuff and i would pretty good about reading everything and going okay i understand where you're getting your numbers we started looking at this bigger deal it was a little over 200 units and we reached out. Actually, I was flying out to Denver, Colorado to uh, a big conference, uh, money raising summit. If you know Adam Adams, he's a great man. Uh, I mean, what he believes in and how he, he really does care about people and, and, and helping them. It's, it's awesome. I will, I will always go to a, a raising money summit. It was a great time, but it was out in Denver and uh, fast forwarding through the story, uh, I ran into a man by the name of Georgia Brehu, who does uh, elevate uh, his syndication as well. He was actually closing on a 1,275 unit in a one big fell swoop. And I was talking with him a lot during that event. And, you know, we just kind of clicked. We bounced off well um, from each other. We were both from Dallas, both out in Denver. And I asked him if he could look at a deal. Like it was literally last thing, just off, just, Hey, let me throw him a a curveball. And it was, Hey, let me take you to the airport. I'll drop you off. I'm dropping off the airport and just, Hey, I got a deal. Uh, We need some help. 
and I would like to partner with you. He was like, okay. And, and the help you needed from him at that point was what? The help I needed from him was his experience. Uh, he could also, he could act as a few roles. He could help with the asset managing. He could help with the key principle and the acquisitions and had more connections within that. So he was going to be an equal partner on all of it. Um, so started talking with him on that and started meeting with him more and more and more because my team actually lived out in West Texas, closer to where this property was out in West Texas. And he lived in Dallas. Well, I'm living east of Dallas. So I'm driving to his office and seeing him more than I'm seeing my other two partners at this time. And it was just seeing the behind the scenes of how a successful, you know, multi-million dollar team works. And he did close that. So I got to watch kind of the tail end of him closing that it was a $90 million uh, deal portfolio mm -hmm. down in Houston, Texas. And I got to watch a lot of the behind the scenes of that. And he actually kind of helped me see some underwriting and, and how to do that. Um, but in doing that, we were, we got that property under contract out there, started doing the due diligence, started doing all that. And then just, he, he just kept making the comment. Something's not adding up. Something's not adding up. George so we, was saying this. Yeah. George was saying this. So we finally were like, well, there's only one way to do it. And let's just underwrite it ourselves. So we sat there, underwrote everything based off of only our own assumptions, our own data. And we found out there was a lot of stuff not being done by, by the, my, one of my teammates uh, correctly, you know, and just to give you an example, when the T12 or the finance sheet, the profit and loss sheet says expenses are, you know, a hundred thousand, I'm just throwing out numbers. Mm -hmm. And then you put on your spreadsheet, you know, oh, they're only 40,000 for water, 40, you know, so you're cutting them in half without any any educational or any kind of reason why. And then you start realizing, wait, you bent the numbers to make the deal work. And any other experienced guy could have seen it right away. But like I said, I was so new and so focused on, you know, had the blinders on, on I've got to be able to raise the money. I've got to develop relationships with investors. This is what my, you know, one track mind, so to speak was. And he came in and looked at that and was, it was that long story short, fast forwarding, we ended up, I ended up walking away, not only from that deal, but from that team. And that's when I merged over to someone picked me up and said, oh, wait, I could use you on my team to do hospitality. So, so just so I understand this. So this was the second deal mm -hmm. and the second deal that didn't happen. Yep. Wow. This is perseverance, man. This is cool. I mean, yeah. it's I, like, I think a lot of people would maybe be disappointed and just stop, but you didn't, which is cool. So, okay. I just want to keep going down this path. Cause it's like, <laughs> I, I'm curious where it just, where it led to what the next deal looks like. You know, I, at this point, I don't even know that I know you have deals done, you know, that you've been a part of, but um, if I was just talking to you to this point, I wouldn't even know that. So where, like, okay, keep going. What was the, what was the next one or the third one? Well, yeah. To back up a step. Don't think it didn't hurt. <laughs> don't think, <laughs> don't think Felon was just like, eh, okay, it's fine. I'll just, you know, no, it sucked. Um, <laughs> it sucked hard. I remember it was a few days of just moping around the house and I was like, man, this was, 
yeah, at that point I'd been going at it for probably eight months at that time, which is really in the talking with other syndicators. That's really nothing. I mean, mm -hmm. that's, you're, you're still a baby at that point. <laughs> so, um, I was picked up to do some hospitality and I'm like, I don't even know anything about hospitality. So once again, I had to learn new lingo, new, new, new structure, new, you know, now we're dealing with a franchise and franchisees and, and all this different, you know, it's just a completely different world. It's, it's, it's less real estate and more revenue based and more hospitality based. It's almost like closer compared to a restaurant than it is a apartment. So, uh, but I jumped in right away, got into the underwriting, looked at all that stuff and, and just took off. So that was December that I picked up with uh, this gentleman. And by I think mid-February, we had two under contract and we were starting to meet with the engineers in the city on the third. So, I mean, I kind of, he had no organization. He understood the industry because he grew up in it, mm. but he just had no organization and no operations, no processes, no nothing. And I kind of just talked with him and said, 1%, I, just give me 1% of this first deal and I'll earn my, my, the rest. That's all it took. I, you know, he's like, I like what you do. I said, well, I want equity. I want to be an owner. And I, cause I saw the big picture. So I said, 1% and who box at 1%, you know? So I remember we went to Amarillo and locked ourselves up in a room for like two days straight, just talking about with all the other board members on the, uh, around the table and da, 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 da. And then when it came down to ownership percentages, and all this stuff. And they're like, oh, Wes is going to get one for kind of doing all the administrative stuff. Boop. But they argued over with this guy that was like, I want 11. They're like, no, nine, 11. I mean, they argued over that for like 45 minutes. But hmm. the guy that has never even done a hotel deal, 1%, nope. <laughs> so that was my little just getting my foot in the door. But um, and, and that deal was, was how many units or what dollar amount? Yeah. So that was, I believe 96, it was a 96 room hotel out in, and it was an independent in Amarillo. We were locking it up and we we're going to convert it to a choice hotel. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was a roadway in just to okay. have, just to grab the flag and then be under the choice hotel franchise. And then we were going to continue the repairs to grab the, uh, it's just, to jump up to a choice, uh, sorry, a, um, Clarion point under choice. Mm. So seeing all that, and that was the plan. Everything was there. We we're meeting with the owners, the contracts were being, you know, dialed in all that stuff already had the, uh, the choice contract, the, all of that stuff there. Um, and it, it, it just, it was, and you learned so much, when people aren't doing stuff right, you've got to give it the time to kind of just let it to shine. And then you also got to be smart enough to understand what's going on so that you can really call people out. Because what I've learned from being up, up to that point and, and, and even to now, the nicest people are sometimes the shadiest. <laughs> And it's so true. And I would have never thought it from that other woman. I would have never thought it about this partnership. The nicest people. I mean, they were bringing out champagne, freaking 
chocolates, mm. all kinds of just fan- taking us out to the steakhouses, pulling up in a stretch limo just to go to the steakhouses. I mean, they were rolling out the red carpet. I'm like, you know what? I kind of like hospitality. This is nice. Wait, who were these people? Um, no, no, not their names, but like what involvement did they have in the deal? They're franchisees. They had several hotels under them. They were selling, they were the sellers. Yeah. One was the sellers that was like, yeah, here you go. Like, I really want you to buy this off of my hands. Wow. Take this property off my hands because I'm in another state setting up there. And this is, if anything, weighing me down. So please take this off of my hands. Got it. Um, Okay, so a couple of questions, just because we talked about this a little bit coming into the show. And, you know, I think you bring a candor that not that many people bring typically, even just talking about the challenges and your story of two deals that didn't happen. And a lot of people wouldn't keep going, but you kept going. So what we were talking about before was we've had a lot of people that come on the show and, you know, they'll, they'll say, I control X number of units or I have 2000 doors, you know, and for the people that are just starting out listening, it's like, what does that actually mean? You know, like what is like, it's, it sounds cool. It's like a sweet thing for marketing. Like I can put that on Instagram. I I control 2000 doors, but like, what does that actually mean? And you just said in the deal that now like you're a part of, you know, you have a, you have 1%, you have a percentage of. So for someone that's like listening and trying to understand like the monetary, I guess, opportunity that can come from this you know a lot of people we've had people on the show that have also said something to the effect of they'd rather have um you know 10 percent of a of a watermelon than 100 percent of a grape you know and that's kind of a i'd say the model here where we're talking about something that's bigger and having a smaller part so just i mean would you mind maybe just talking about you know how this actually shakes out financially you know for you you know, doing these type of deals. And I know now, I think you've done uh, at least one more deal after that, but I think three in total. But like, what does that actually shake out to financially? Because again, there are people that are probably listening to the show and they're wondering, is this a career path? You know, can I personally make money in this? Can I leave my job? And would this be enough money to to live or, you know, live a lifestyle? And so you might just, I don't know, talk, taking that however you want to, and you don't have to, if you're not comfortable going too personally, but just to help anyone that's curious, what does it actually shake out to, you know, financially? Mm-hmm. No, that is a great question because I chased, I chased it. I chased this carrot. I, I saw the big dollar signs from all these big people on stage. They don't tell you their first two, three years in business. It was, it was just breaking even or, or barely making it. So to tell you on all these, the numbers, man, you can, it's all about, vantage points or you know how do you want to look at that i can make 100 units sound like it's a lot or 100 units sound like it's nothing you know oh i've got 100 million asset under management that's maybe true but what i'm not telling you or a lot of people aren't telling you is i only own 100 i only own one percent of that right (laughs) it's still true i i didn't lie um you know so it's really knowing the behind the scenes and not getting caught up too much on, on the, the numbers of assets under management, because a lot of that has to, or numbers under management, because it really does matter on one, how much of that do you own? Two, are you a GP or an LP, which is, are you a general partner or a limited partner? Because Mm -hmm. a limited partner is someone that just invests. They have no control over that asset. Really, at the end of the day, there's enough legal, 
you know, contracts and all that stuff that they don't, they don't get to dictate what happens to that, that property. They're a, that's a passive investment for them. Mm. And I've even seen that where people will, will sell, you know, sell you on their, their portfolio. Uh, I, I'm in invested in 10,000 units. I mean, that's like, I don't own Amazon just because I own some of their stock, mm. you know, like, oh, I'm invested in Amazon. It, that doesn't mean anything. It would be the same, the same Spot thing. On. Spot yeah. On. So going into this, it, it's, it's so much, I mean, 500 units down in Georgia. I mean, we're, we're yeah. in a deal right now and then this is actively going, so I can't give too much information there. Uh, it's roughly 500 units. It's a little over. It's out there in Georgia. That's about as much as I can say there. It's going for around $95,000 a unit. Mm -hmm. So you can do the math. We're about a $50 million all in asset and for 500 units. And off of that one, the sponsorships team or the GPs would make roughly about 300, about 300,000 a year. Now you got to think how many people does it take to take that down? And what is your percentage of that? That's 300,000 per person, or is that the full? That is the full sponsorship team. Now, so then they have to split that. However many people are on the team. And based off your ownership, I mean, you could have one person that owns 50% of the the general partnership and yeah, he's making good money. But if you're the little guy still trying to, you know, build up your portfolio, build up your name, build up all of that you know, you might be only walking away with five or 10. Right. Right. Five or 10 of that, you know, you're looking at what, 15, $20,000, $15,000, a year. Yep. So, I mean, is it money? Yeah. Is it anything to scoff at? Well, it depends on what you're currently making. <laughs> I know people that they're engineers and they got 1500 units under their belt and they're majority, uh, majority owner of, but they work as an engineer three days a week at Lockheed Martin all during the week. They're, they're doing this. Mm. So it's all about knowing what is your goal uh, for retirement, because there is a passive play to this. I mean, you know, yeah, you're putting out fires as they come up once you own the asset and you've got to, you know, finish out your business model and your business plan for the asset, but it is about a five-year hold on average. Now everyone can model that how they want, but Mm -hmm. So there is a, a point where this can become a passive opportunity to where just from your profits on the sale, you can, you know, 1031 that into a passive investment and kind of be an LP. I'll tell you, I mean, don't scoff at the LP position. I mean, honestly, that's retirement, you know, because that's money coming in your pocket at a probably a 10% cash earn cash rate a year without having to lift a finger other than to click on your bank account to see what's in there. Yep. I have changed my whole view on this. You know, like our, our group is a, a, it's a millennial audience and a lot of them, I think, and this, again, I'll speak for myself here. I, I think when I heard just because I came from the world of units that are 100% controlled by an individual that I just assumed that that was what was happening in these bigger deals and the unit count, which is amazing marketing draws a lot of people in. But as I got kind of more under the hood, I realized this is not a, it's not a get rich quick. It is a long-term wealth building profession. This is not a side hobby or a side hustle. This is a profession or another career, another job, but it's just a job that's a better job probably than one that a lot of people can't make that much money, don't work with people they don't, they like. 
and they're actually not feeling fulfilled in. Okay. So this is just replacing that, but it's I, like, I want to make that clear for people. Like I, I really mean this Wes. like, this might be one of the most important episodes we've ever done because you are right now just making it so clear to people in your like openness that just because someone says they own 500 units or a thousand units or control that many, they're very likely, it all depends on their percentage ownership. I mean, it has nothing to do with unit count. Unit count literally now means to me, and like now having friends in this, it means nothing. You know, someone can own one unit and make more than someone that controls 10,000 units. Okay. Yes. So, so now it's almost like, and, and this is why, again, I'm glad you were so open and like willing to speak on it that that even with that 300,000 number, you know, that if that's split 10 ways or that's split five ways and it depends on percentage, you know, I just want people to understand the actual like dollars we're talking about here. And that if someone owns that many units, it really just doesn't necessarily mean that they're, you know, on this crazy level, they definitely can be. And as they do more deals and deals come full cycle and you do the business model, refinance them and then end up flipping them and buying more, you know, there are big paydays. But um, I just, I think it's so, so glossed over. And I actually think it's harmful what uh, typically gets put out there because um, my whole thing is I don't like to set goals before I have education. And that's what I teach. The same thing in my groups too, is you can't set goals because one, you could be putting a ladder on the wrong building or two, you could just be putting a glass ceiling on yourself that you don't even know what your possibility is. So education, then goals. So that's what I meant. I, I just, I'm sorry, this was a rant. I don't even usually talk this much, but this is just so important that you're saying this because it's, it's what people need to hear and need to know so that they can come up with their own plan. Yes. No, I will say that I am, I am the, I'm being very transparent today. I'm telling you all my failures and I just want you to know that a lot of people won't tell you theirs or they'll say, Oh yeah, I've struggled in the beginning. No, I'm telling you step-by-step how many times I've failed Mm. and it happens and it is going to cost you money one way or another. But I didn't care about the money. I cared about the time. It cost me time because at the end of the day, I make decisions on two things. One, what is my return on time? And two, how does that affect other people? And that's really what I look at every situation is someone else taking the risk with me that has no part of it that is completely innocent or is it just me Mm. so you know i'm i am a family man i'm married got four kids so i've got to my risk tolerance shoot uh, you know i've been a sponsored mma fighter i mean i'll get in the cage i used to say i i I block punches with my face uh you know now that was just real quick that was for a cause i wasn't just crazy it was uh for in the cage for kids is what it was called so kids that had terminal illnesses we would Mm. do that and i would tell everybody like look this face is not going to ever make me a dime so if we can raise money for someone else that needs it let's do it Mm. so my risk tolerance is just woo high like right i'll go all in if there's an opportunity but you know because i love trying to beat the odds but to 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 jump on what you say and completely say, I agree, educate yourself before jumping. You know, the, the whole, oh, I'll build an airplane on the way down. That's just what entrepreneurs do. No, that's bullshit. Sorry for yeah. the language. <laughs> I don't know if we're PG-13 or what here, but good. It, it is, it is. But I will caution you, do not get stuck in analysis paralysis. 
Do not get stuck so scared that you don't know everything, that you won't pull the trigger, that you won't make the jump because you will never know everything. There's mm. some things that you've got to know enough and be ready to make that first step. And you will learn a lot on the way. Learn every day. Mm. Learn every day. Um, and, and that's what I'm going to say. That there's no, nothing saying that as you, you jump, you know, you got to start building it without the book. No, dang it. Grab the daggum owner's manual. Read the first, you know, overview of it. Get a good idea. Then make your jump. But bring the book with you. <laughs> you know, like get going and, and do that. But yes, uh, I, I completely agree. There's going to be a lot of people that will mislead that are just trying to sell a course that won't tell you how bad it really can be. Wesley, what's the best way for people to follow your story, connect with you or get in touch? Yes. Yeah, so I have just started a team that is nothing but veterans and first responders. It's VFR capital investments. Mm. Uh, we are building, I mean, we're so new, we're still building our website. Let me just tell you, um, I've got a really strong team and I've mm -hmm. put a lot into these guys and I'm really excited about what we're doing. I just to kind of tell you, we're that guy, George, that did that hundred million dollar deal, $90 million deal. He turned around and did another one. Um, we're partnered with him now. So he's partnered with us and we're we're actively looking with for deals with him, but we are on a Facebook page, VFR, and that's veterans and first responders. So VFR capital investments, and mm -hmm. that's on Facebook. As soon there will be a .com to that. That'll be vfrcapitalinvestments.com. Um, feel free to reach out to me on that Facebook. Uh, we have a LinkedIn, and if you just want to email me directly, uh, Wesley at VFR Capital Investments dot com and that is an s at the end of that investment there okay so cool. i'd be happy with sharing stories and and motivating others i am not a guru and i'm not selling anything but <sighs> if you want to know the real of you know what it is i you know i'll give it to you real so 100 all right wesley i appreciate you coming on and being so real it's just refreshing so i meant it when i said it i think this one will be a good one for anyone that's starting out or just looking to understand the difference of types of investment strategies and syndication and multifamily and how partnerships can be organized. So I just want to say thanks for coming on, man. Best of luck in finishing out 2020. Happy holidays and hope you have an awesome uh, 2021 and New Year's as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again for having me on the show. I'm hoping somebody got something from my failures. That's kind of what, what keeps me going is, hey, if someone can learn something from my mistakes, then, then shoot, as long as I share my story then it was all worth it. Thanks, Wes. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you, guys. Hey, you millennial millionaire. Are you looking for help getting to the next level in real estate? Are you looking for accountability and strategy to achieve your goals? If so, Jonathan is now taking on one-on-one -on -one students and opening a few spots in his private mastermind. It's affordable and welcome to everyone. If you had any questions or think you may need a boost, Send Jonathan a message on Facebook or email at johnjfarber at outlook.com.